turn in our Bibles. We'll turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter nine. And as we prepare to read this God's holy and infallible word, if you are able, we'll stand to give honor to our Lord as we read his word before it is preached. Luke 9, starting at verse 37. On the next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him, and a man from the crowd shouted, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only boy. And a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth, and only with great difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. While he was still approaching, the demon slammed him to the ground and threw him into a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. But while everyone was marveling at all that he was doing, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. For the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this statement, and it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this statement. Let's pray. Our glorious Lord, help your people to marvel to wonder with excitement at you, our glorious God, at your amazing grace, at your amazing work that you have wrought through your Holy Son, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. For many of you, it is likely a joy when you watch children amazed and delighted in something. Um, I know even, even if you don't have your own kids, when you watch kids having a great time and they're wide-eyed and excited, laughing and jumping up and down, it's, it, it's kind of encouraging. It's kind of uplifting, I, I believe. It's a delight. But it seems that as we get older, Maybe as we get older, we seem to lose that capacity for marveling, for delighting, for amazement. Sometimes you see it. And uh, sometimes as you get older, you know, well, you know, that's the way kids act. That's not the way adults act. We don't, we don't get too excited, do we? Um, I do think that as adults, we should always have wonderment and excitement at the things of God what he has wrought throughout the earth. In this passage, Jesus uh, shifted his, well, it's actually a little earlier, he had 
shifted his ministry from being very vigorous to having a little bit of a break. Um, there was a, a period of eight days where there wasn't a lot mentioned about what was happening. Maybe it was a period of discipleship, tutoring, prayer, and, and teaching his disciples and his apostles. And then after that, he goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration. But here, he's no longer getting a break from the crowds because he's coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And we see in verse 37, on the next day when they came down from the mountain, you can say already, a large crowd uh, gathered to meet him. A large crowd met him. Uh, here, Jesus is going to demonstrate again his wonderful work in um, his ministry. But notice, it wasn't Jesus doing the ministry at the onset of this passage. It's his apostles, as we'll notice uh, in a little while. Uh, the main focus of today's passage is that you are to marvel at the mighty work of your God. And we'll see this in two main points. First is a difficult case for the disciples. A difficult case for the disciples. And then secondly, that you are to be amazed at the greatness of God. Be amazed at the greatness of God. So let's look at this, this first main point. A difficult case for the disciples. Verses 38 and following. A man from the crowd shouted, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only boy. And a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth. And only with great difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. I'm, I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. So, at the onset of this passage, the disciples are out doing ministry. Because there's a shift here. It's not only Jesus. It's them. They're going out and doing ministry. But every apprentice, every disciple at times gets stumped and needs to ask the master for help. And that's what you kind of would expect, wouldn't it? You, we have doctors here in this congregation, and when, when they did um, their training in the hospitals, for I, I guess you call it your practicals, uh, you're actually still enrolled in medical school, but you're actually going out, doing the treatment as a doctor, diagnosing people and doing, uh, ordering treatments. But there are times where that student doctor doesn't know what to do, and he has to go ask the supervising physician, I don't know. Can you help me? Can you help me figure this out? Or the electrician who's wiring the house, not quite sure the apprentice electrician doesn't know what he's doing quite well and he needs to ask the master electrician to show him how to manage and do it. In the same sense here, they're asking for help because there's a difficult case. Now, some might say or wonder, this particular demon would, was impossible for them to cast out. They, you know, it really it had to be Jesus. Jesus had to be the one to cast this one out. But that's not true. That's not true. Look at verse 41. Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. So he's saying that the reason 
that they couldn't cast it out is because they were unbelieving, that they were lacking in faith. Their inability was because of a lack of faith. Now, let's turn, I want to look at a parallel account. Keep your place in Luke, but let's look at Matthew 17. Matthew 17. Starting in verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? This is a parallel account. He said to them, Because of the littleness, the smallness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Okay. So in other words, you got some demons, It's to cast them out, it's like an uphill battle, but this demon is like scaling a mountain. A lot more difficult, a lot more difficult, but not impossible. Now, I've always questioned this. Well, why did Jesus say you couldn't cast it out because the littleness, the smallness of your faith? Or according to, to Luke's account, he says you couldn't cast it out because you were unbelieving and perverted. So in both, both accounts, the reason they're not able to cast it out is because of lack of faith. But then Jesus goes on to say this. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So what is it? Is it because they didn't have the faith or they weren't using the right technique? I think it's both. If they would have had faith, greater faith, they would have been able to, as God had promised in Luke 9.1, that have power and authority over all demons. Okay, you tried to cast this demon out and it doesn't work. What do you do next? Maybe they gave up. Maybe they said, we can't do this. We got to go out. We got to go seek the master. Or, or, or they tell the dad, can you seek after the master? Or maybe the master just says, I'm, I'm tired of it. I can't do it. But instead, a persistent, diligent faith would have said, what I tried didn't work. God, give me wisdom in what to do next. Guide me, help me to understand, and then maybe that they would have been guided. I think we need to pray and fast. It's possible that they could have been led to that other option. A persistent faith should allow us to seek any and every means possible to accomplish what we must, to use every means at our disposal to accomplish what we must. You know, in, in our life, the same thing happens. When, when things don't go our way or we, don't, we can't resolve the problem, read the Word, pray. You know, but maybe consider fasting. You know? Um, Jesus did say, the bridegroom, Jesus, he said when he would be taken away, his disciples would fast. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21 says, 
that we should have solemn fastings and thanksgivings upon special occasions. Now, special occasions shouldn't be just when you have a minister ordained or some other. It, it could be when you have special needs, right? And there are several times and seasons to be used in a holy and religious manner. So, Scripture upholds that we should still fast. The Confession upholds that we, sh we still should fast. Again, if you've tried one thing, maybe you need to try others. Uh, in a marriage relationship or a, maybe a relationship with friends or family, when something doesn't go your way with your own conversations, uh, with, with your own study in the Bible, with your own prayers, maybe seek the help of others. Try something else. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. Ask a godly friend for help. Maybe ask the pastor, your pastor, or your ruling elders to help you. We're here for that. But after witnessing this great struggle among the disciples, they ask Jesus for help. Jesus comes and merely casts out the demon with a rebuke. And I think the work of Jesus stood out all the more, the fact that they couldn't do it, but Jesus did it with a mere rebuke. See, for the disciples to exercise or cast out this demon, it would have required prayer, fasting, and fasting, by the way, takes time, day, at least a day or two. So prayer, fasting, that takes time. It would have been a diligent, difficult, uphill battle, like moving a mountain, but they could have done it. But Jesus just spoke a word of rebuke and cast it out. And that's what led them to glory and to see the amazement and in the work of God. That's our next main point. Be amazed at the greatness of God. Verse 43a. They were all amazed at the greatness of God. In the New American Standard here, um, the word translates as, uh, this, as greatness, but it's also majesty in the New King James Version. So David spoke of God's splendor and majesty in a very important passage. I want us to look at 1 Chronicles chapter 16. Keep your place. Look at 1 Chronicles 16. First Chronicles 16, um, this is a psalm of thanksgiving starting in verse 8. And what David gives, he said in verse 8, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonders. Glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonderful deeds which he has done, his marvels and his judgments from his mouth. O seed of Israel, his servant, sons of Jacob, his chosen one. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. 
Remember his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant. Um, Notice that God is to be glorified and exalted. And this is a song of thanksgiving talking about the majesty and the wonder of our God. You know, I did go to seminary with some people who who used to say that, you know, if you hear this, you know, you're only supposed to, if you're really reformed, this was actually in a church in New Jersey as well, if you're really reformed, you will only sing psalms. Because I think it comes from the Scottish background, that's what was done, you know, you... But you, you might ask yourself, well, how can I only sing psalms when, if you look at the beginning in verse 7, this was a song given to Asaph that it should be sung before the Lord. So if, you're, if you can't sing only psalms, you can't sing First Chronicles 16. It's a really, it's a, a strange logical disconnect, isn't it? But getting back, uh, getting back to our text in Luke, in verse uh, 43, it says in Luke 9, 43, everyone was marveling at what he, that is, what Jesus was doing. Okay, okay so what, what would it look like for them to marvel at Jesus? You know, the wide eyes, their jaws dropped down, mouths wide open, and they can't even, some of them probably can't even speak, they're just in total awe. Because Jesus had power and authority over the evil one and over his minions. But notice this is not the only thing. This is not the only thing that we should marvel at. Look at the greatness of his love and that of the Father in verses 43 and following. But while everyone was marveling at all that he was doing, he said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Here Christ foretold his coming crucifixion. He foretold his coming betrayal into the hands of men. He didn't tell him exactly the details of what was going to happen after he was betrayed, but we know it. Those of us who know the scriptures, we, we know that the only perfectly righteous, holy Son of God was given over and treated as a criminal. He was blindfolded. He was beaten and said, well, who beat you? Prophesy. Aren't you the Messiah? Why don't you prophesy? Who struck you? They reviled him and said, he saved others, but himself he cannot save. If you truly are the son of God, the king of Israel, come down from the cross and we'll believe in you. And they say he trusted in God. Let's see if God delivers him. They mocked him. They spit upon him. They beat him. But Jesus when he was given over into the hands of men, didn't want 
to come down from the cross because God had a purpose in his being betrayed into the hands of men. Acts chapter 2. Turn to Acts 2. Acts 2, starting at verse 22. Peter's, this is a kind of midway in Peter's sermon, Pentecost sermon. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, like delivering this boy from the demonic spirit, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. So why did Jesus have to be crucified anyway? Here in this text, he's saying, you were responsible. You're the ones who were responsible for giving him over, delivering him over to godless men. Yet, it was by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Man was both responsible, yet God sovereign in this particular situation. And he did it for the purpose of saving his elect sheep. Now skip down a little bit to verse 36. Therefore, let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, Messiah, this Jesus, whom you crucified, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the purpose is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call to himself. And for many of them, their hearts and minds were open. They realized that they crucified the long-awaited Messiah that they were waiting for. What shall we do? But then they put their faith in this same Lord Jesus and were then added to the church. Getting back to Luke 9. Luke 9. You may have wondered why it says what Jesus spoke these words. He spoke these words because later the Holy Spirit would bring them to their remembrance so they would write them down for us and for the, in, in giving us the scripture. But when he spoke these words at this particular time, notice it says, verse 45, they did not understand this statement. And it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it. Okay, who hid it from him? Why did they not perceive it? Why was it concealed from them? I don't think it's Satan. I think it was God. 
I think it was the Holy Spirit allowed for them not to understand and receive and believe the nature of them being handed over to men. And I believe there are reasons for that. Um, the scripture doesn't tell us here, but I think there are clues of why this was necessary. We know that the only one that really put up a fight, bearing a sword and a trying to attack and defend Jesus was Peter. But maybe if they all understood and all were prepared, maybe most of them would have been willing to join Peter in the fight. Most of them, or even many of them, would have been killed. And if they would have even killed a couple of the guards, I'm sure that many of them would have been crucified alongside of Christ. But, you see, the answer for why God did not reveal this to them and, and let them have preparation, but to be taken by surprise was because his purpose from the onset was that when they came to take Jesus, the sheep would be scattered. When they came to take Jesus, the sheep would be scattered. That they were going to be surprised and unprepared. Zechariah 13.7 says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man, my associate, declares the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered and I will turn my hand against the little ones. See, it wasn't at their time. It wasn't their time to die then, but later on they would suffer martyrdom. But at this point, it was to fulfill the prophecy. It was hidden from them so that they would be scattered ill-prepared, taken by surprise, and that they would, God the Father would strike the shepherd, but the sheep would be scattered. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot that we have to be amazed at. Remember the disciples, they had a difficult case. They couldn't handle it. They were training for the ministry, but they had to seek the help of the Master in, for them, they struggled. They couldn't do it. But when Jesus gave a word of rebuke, the demon left the child immediately. Again, the, the reason was a lack of faith. Maybe with greater faith, they would have been more persistent and then they would have used every means to their, expo to their uh, ability uh, to then even maybe fast and pray. But when Jesus cast out this demon, they were amazed. The people were amazed at the work of Christ, the greatness of Christ, the miraculous works of Christ, and they glorify God in His greatness. You, brothers and sisters, don't just let it be the work of children to, to be amazed at God and His wonderful works. God wants you to have amazement and wonder that His power and authority were even over the, the devil and the evil one. But don't just be amazed at his miraculous works. Be amazed at the miraculous love of God. That God, the Father, in his predetermined plan, gave up his only Son to be delivered over to men, to be beaten and spat upon, mocked and rejected, and then to be put upon the cross where he would suffer the wrath of the Father for sinners such as you. If you put your faith in Christ, you will not suffer that wrath because Christ 
has been made a propitiation, a sacrifice that turns away that wrath due for you because Christ has suffered it for you. Be amazed at his willingness to lay down his life for you. Be amazed at the Father's love to give his only Son. And be amazed that God has set his love upon you, even you. Let's pray that God would give us that faith. We ask our glorious Lord that you would give us faith that you have delivered over your Son, your only Son, to suffer and die for sinners such as us. Help us to be amazed at your wonderful work of salvation wrought for us, even for us. Give us this faith. Give us a heart of gratitude. Give us a life of gratitude. And help us to embrace Jesus Christ as he's offered to us according to the Holy Gospel and according to your word. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, our hymn of dedication, we'll stand and sing 544. Lead on, O King Eternal. Let's stand and sing 544.